Welcome to the People of Chattanooga podcast. I'm your host, Luke Swab. Today on the show, I have Randy Wharton. Randy is a legend in Chattanooga. He loves everything outdoors and gives so much back to our community by cleaning up our rivers and trails. His passion for trail running and stand-up paddleboarding led him to tackling bigger and bigger projects. For his 60th birthday, he trail ran the entire Cumberland Trail from Chattanooga to Kentucky and then stand-up paddleboarded all the way back on the Tennessee River. This epic feat took him only 19 days, which is insane. Randy is clearly a beast, and this is our conversation about his birthday project, which he is calling the Big Cumberland Loop. So without further ado, here is Randy Wharton. Okay, and we are recording. I'm here with Randy Wharton. I can never say <laughs> What's your last name? Uh, Wharton. I think Wharton. probably it's safe to say just don't use, don't pronounce Randy. the H. Okay. I'm with Randy. <laughs> Randy's good. This is the second time you're on the podcast. Um, you were episode five before, I believe. And uh, I wanted to have you back because you, you just recently completed your birthday project. You turned 60 years old and it's epic. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, it's something I've been kind of penciling together for years but uh, I call it the the big Cumberland loop uh, starts downtown Chattanooga and I I basically hike there's not a really easy way to to hike or a pedestrian of anybody or even a bike to get up to Signal Mountain so there's a really cool climbing route and I was able to you know piece it together with the old Cumberland Trail which is below the bluff on on Signal Mountain and uh, found a good way to get up the mountain and so it started downtown got up to the Cumberland Trail <clears throat> And basically do the entire Cumberland Trail to Cumberland Gap. Uh, the whole trail's not completed yet, so there's some road hike around, but it ends up being I, I think it's 320 miles or something like that. And then I kept going, uh, and I do a step called Sup the State. This was my seventh year in a row, basically paddling from Cumberland Gap all the way back down to Chattanooga. So it starts on the on the Powell River, uh, right at the Kentucky border, pretty much, which is kind of right where the Cumberland Trail ends. Um, and that dumps into the Clinch River, and then that dumps into the Tennessee River. Uh, there's four or five dams to portage around, and, uh, yeah, it's just a great week-long trip. So the whole thing, I was hoping to do it, I was hoping to do it, in, you know, I'd, I'd have been happy, you know, 25 days, you know, but, I, I, you know, as I got closer and I started training a little bit better and, um I was thinking, man, I think I can do this in, in three weeks. And I ended up doing the whole thing in 19 days. So turned out to be just great. Um, this, my, my body just kept getting stronger every day. I don't understand it, but it, it was, it held together really well. A couple little mini things that kind of set me back a little bit. Main one being the Cumberland trail, um, maintenance on the Northern sections is just horrible. I mean, if I didn't have my phone as a wayfinding, you know, device, I w I'd have been so lost. Oh, the trail's not, you know, working. It's pretty safe to say there are sections, miles of sections that nobody has used for years and years. So it, yeah, it's pretty pretty sad. Which is really good that I did this trip for the Cumberland Trail because I think I've decided that we're going to take wild trails to a new level. Right now, and everything in the past has been pretty much focused on Chattanooga area. But since there's nobody doing any maintenance on probably one of the coolest through hike trails in the country, um, we're going to take it. We're going to take it over and getting some good help from REI and several other folks that are going to help us maintain one of, one the, of the whole thing. One of the coolest through hike trails in America. 
without a doubt. I mean, it's not long. It's I mean, for sure. a through hike trail, th- you know, three three hundred miles. But you look at stuff, and I grew up in Colorado. And I you know I've I've been on all of the Colorado Trail basically, but absolutely beautiful, no question about it. But you think about it, it is mostly just high like Rocky Mountain views and stuff. Beautiful, no doubt. But the diversity is not anything like what we have here. I mean, the the Cumberland Trail, you know, you could argue the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail and, you know, the Continental Divide Trail. Those are so long. They're, they've got to have huge diversity. But for a trail that's 300 miles, I, I'd, I'd challenge any other individual trail anywhere um, to, to match the diversity, not only just the, the plant species, but rock formations and, and just, you know, just so many uh, great views and, and, and great trails all around. And, and, and the trails that were built before that hardly anybody used are just great. There's nothing wrong with the trail. It just doesn't get enough use. And since it doesn't get enough use, there got to be a few people that, that will hike it. And then, like, man, I'm not ever doing that again because, you know, they couldn't find their way. Yeah. So it just takes going through it maybe once a year, most of it with just loppers and a folding saw to, to you know, or pull out saplings. You know, I mean, there were saplings in the right in the middle of the trail that were six feet tall. No kidding. Yeah. When did they build that trail? That well, that section. Man, that's some of those sections that that they just haven't been maintained there, and they're way out in the middle of nowhere. So you, there's no like local community that's going to get a volunteer group up. So I'm guessing that they are probably probably as old as as the trail here because they built you know the trail up to Signal Mountain. You know, probably one of the first. And I'm guessing it's probably early 70s. Hmm. So I didn't so, realize the trail was that old. I know that they had a big uh, flood in 1984 that wiped out the bridge on Suck Creek. And they decided then to change it from below the bluff line up to the top. And then they b- put in the, the bridge up down below Mushroom Rock mm-hmm. in 84, I think. And somebody was saying that they used, I mean, they've, they've used that Cumberland Trail as a way to walk to work, you know, for a lot of people that lived um up Suck Creek Road for, for a way. I mean, literally back in the, I, I think, turn of the century, but the Cumberland Trail, I think it's been, you know, mid to, to late 70s at least. That bridge on Suck Creek Road is washed out now. It is, and it's it's still there. It's there. I know. I saw it. So, I mean, I asked, <laughs> the, I, I told the Cumberland Trail guys, I said, we're happy to, to, to pull it back. I got a device that can pull that bridge right back in place. We might have to to break it down a little bit, but. What, what um, are you going to winches or what it, it's called a grip hoist. Um, describe it. How does, I don't understand how, how the thing works. It's brilliant, but it's, it's, it's a cable, a cable yeah. rope. Um, and then you, it's got this big sort of ratchet thing, kind of like a, a, a Mazdam rope puller or something like that. But it, every time you pull the big lever on it, it just moves that cable like an inch. Yeah. It's like a five to one ratio. Yeah. Or it's, but it's super, super strong to the tune of like, uh, I think it's somewhere around 7,000, 8,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I mean, two guys, it's the, the, the device itself weighs 72 pounds. And then with, with the cable and all the rigging, it ends up being like 145 pounds. So you split that up into two guys. Yeah. Pretty hefty backpacks, but we can go out in the middle of nowhere and literally pick up 3000 pound rocks and move them over and drop them back down. So we, I know we can drag that bridge back in place. Yeah. And so that, I, I asked him, I said that, you know, we'll do it. You all right with that? And he said, well, let me check with state. I said, do you really want to do that? 
So he did, and they came back and said no. They have it has to be completely oh, re-engineered. It's like that huh. bridge has been there for forty years. Why? Why can't we just put it back? Yeah, I mean, exactly the same bridge in Red the same tape. place. It'd be safer than rock hopping across right now. A lot safer. I, I understand why. It's just state and federal governments are so bureaucratic. They don't. There's no common sense. It's letter of the law only. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. I've talked to several people and said, well, we're just going to do it anyway. Yeah. So, well, I, I mean, I can't have... stop you. <laughs> that's right. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I encourage you go for it. Yeah. What I, would I happen? It's a smart thing to do. So it, but there, the new TDEC, uh, director of TDEC statewide is really making a big push to get the Cumberland trail done within the next like three years. Is it so, possible? Is that possible? Do you it think? is totally possible uh, without a doubt. Should we talk about some of the, um, the hurdles, some of the, portions that aren't completed and well like, what's it going to take to to get access i assume that's the issue land it, access it is access for sure but i think the biggest issue is getting the trail built so it's you mean it, actual labor actual labors and yeah okay. so i mean we um and you know i i, I i've been accused of being way overly optimistic on how long things will take for for me to do it. and so i when we first started that 11 mile section uh i thought two years for sure and it took three and a half so i mean it and we have some salt i mean solid volunteer base and so i can get it way out in the middle of nowhere it's hard to get to the sections you gotta you know you gotta drive an hour or two and you gotta hike three hours to get to it so you can't really do that in a day and most of the work that we did, it was kind of day or, or weekend kind of trip. So to get actually, stuff done. You're actually camping on the Yeah, on the you trail. got to. And they've yeah. got and they have big breakout programs and people come from all over the country. But, you know, they're, they're pricey and it takes people to lead them. So we're, we're going to do – I mean, we're still stuck around Chattanooga and I want to stay here. They want us to go all over, which is fine. But after we're done with this Audubon Mountain section, which is a three-and-a-half-mile piece, it's really going to make a – great connection between where we have now on the triple gorges section at Leggett road it connects it to the whole graysville mountain section which is you know i don't know 15 miles or something so that'll make a really big piece and then after that's done they believe they're going to have the upper suck creek property are identified and where that trail is going to go so after you go down from mushroom rock crock cross the big suspension bridge climb up a little bit instead of turning left to go to prentice cooper mm-hmm. the cumberland trail will go right and not sure exactly where it's going to go but hmm. they are pretty confident they're going to get that all connected to hall road section no kidding so that'll be nice and the biggest issue i have and you know i've talked to to tim kelly about it who hopefully will be our next mayor that um the the biggest problem is is a safe way to get up onto signal because of the the great eastern trail right now is you know it's all road i mean from here to from downtown to saudi daisy is all road and that's just a shame to do that because we've got some of the greatest trails up on signal from signal all the way all the way across i mean you don't need to do any road it's great i've i've talked to some people about how to get up there and you know um you know, Tim Laramore, I talked to him about maybe going, they're trying to get a bunch of access going up uh, the North Chick mm-hmm. um, from downtown. Um, that's difficult. Uh, it's less, 
it's there's less landowners to deal with if you kind of go out towards Suck Creek Road. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on how to get to the top? Well, I mean, I think the the route that I took on this this big Cumberland Loop is is the best way. It's the safest way. There's already a climber's trail that goes right what, up there. Can you tell us what route that is? Or so if you go if you're if you're on Suck Creek Road yeah. and you just pass Middle Creek. Yep. So everybody knows Middle Creek. Mm-hmm. Anybody that wants to go up to a really cool place to hang out and swim, that's Super one, of the, cool. one yeah. of the prettiest places around. Just as you cross over Middle Creek, there's a guardrail on your right. Before you get to the end of the guard guardrail, you can kind of see the trail. And it's a climber's trail that goes up to a, um, a crag called Middle Earth. And climbers are probably the most notorious for building really bad trails they just want to get straight up there so there's two little sections where there's ropes that you they put knots in them so it would take a it would take some rerouting switchbacks and that kind of stuff but not not major and that gets to the middle earth climbing area if you follow the bottom of that crag around then there's a there's a pretty good drainage there that easily you could make uh, a nice a nice trail up that that takes you right below Edwards Point. And if you go around Edwards Point a little bit, you can see blazes on the trees where the old Cumberland Trail went. No kidding. So the old Cumberland Trail was below the bluff line, and it came up not to Edwards Point, but there's three. There's not the gully to the right if you're facing the river, not the second one, but the third little gully down. It looks It's pretty obvious. It's kind of a little steep, but, I mean, we could easily make some steps and make it a, a, a great trail so that that to me is the no-brainer i mm-hmm. mean there's no there's no property to deal with because it's all owned by i think it's state i think it's all prentice cooper land so and yeah. then you would just walk suck creek road um just walk the road to get there from downtown well yeah i i think i don't know how it is working with colonial pipeline mm-hmm. but that colonial pipeline is right is right there right parallels the road and that would cut out i don't know a mile or so that takes you to that concrete plant yep and so the concrete plant would be i mean ideally would be the best to partner up with baylor high school and have the basically have the cumberland trail end downtown Mm -hmm. and it goes stringers ridge and it goes through baylor trails and it connects with the work something out with that concrete plant. So have a trail behind their property to kind of go and connect with colonial. I mean, you could do the whole thing off road. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. A little bit going to get underneath 27, but I mean, it's not that far between Baylor and Stringers Ridge. You is, could, you could do something pretty cool. I think. Is that, are you planning on trying to do that? Well, I, you know, I think I got Tim Kelly's here. He's interested. He agrees. Yeah. I mean, the Great Eastern Trail is, you know, Chattanooga is the only city of any, even close to this size, that, are, that a major thru-hike trail is going right through the middle of town to downtown. Right. So that's a pretty cool thing. And it's I think it's a travesty to be able to, to have it go to the Riverwalk. Everybody loves it. And then you go up and, and you know, you don't have – you don't have a way to cross the river and you're just on roads all the way to Saudi Daisy. It's just a shame that we can't just get up to signal to the rest of the Cumberland trail and keep going. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think that's important. I mean, you know, the, another option would be, um, that new, uh, Walden Ridge park. Yeah. That's a kind of another way potentially you could get up there. 
the only thing is I don't know how to get how to get to the top of Signal Mountain from. I mean, it's kind of around W Road. Yeah, it would just you'd have to walk W Road the rest of the way up, and then and that you know that wouldn't be that bad. I don't think not horrible. Yeah, I mean, I like your route. I like your route better going up by Middle Creek. Yeah, I mean, I think that work with a couple landowners. Really, it's only. To ideally, it'd be the Colonial Pipeline, the concrete plant, and, and Baylor High School to make it happen. Yeah. How many miles total did you do for this project? Oh, gosh. I think it was 530 or something like that. And in 19 days, mm-hmm. um, what was your average? Uh, what was your long? Give us some stats, like longest day, average. Uh, you know, I don't know the exact details. My goal, original goal, was 20 miles a day. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think that's that's pretty safe to say would be a big day for my old old backpacking days, which was normal, forty five pounds. So a buddy of mine said, "Man, you got to go ultralight. It's just so much better." So I did. Didn't have to spend a lot of money. And that this was your first time doing ultralight. First first time ever. I, I'm I think forty five pounds is the last time I remember weighing my backpack that I was gone for a week or so, and I got this thing down to eighteen. So it's a it is a game changer and it was so easy to put in the miles. I never took my backpack off filtered water, went to the bathroom, everything with my pack on didn't even hardly notice it. So, um, I was really happy to see that I was doing 25, you know, I did two days at 30 miles, um, on the, on the backpacking trip. So I averaged, I think a little bit over 25 miles a day for the, the 320 ish miles for the Cumberland trail. And then my paddle um, was like a little over 40 miles a day. And a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at that, thinking, how the hell do you do that? And I just, I just don't know. I don't understand why more stand-up paddlers. I get it. If you're sitting down in a canoe or a kayak, you can't do, the, you can't do sun up to sundown. We're just not built as, as a species to exercise sitting down like that. You, it, it just jacks with your knees and your back and your neck, and you're using mostly your shoulders and arms. So it just isolating two, two smaller muscle groups and not very strong muscle groups really at that. But stand-up paddleboard, in my opinion, is by far the best way to travel in nature. I mean, you're standing up. You get to see down on the water, so you get to see all the fishy creatures right next to the shore. I mean, all the land-based animals are not afraid of, of anything from the water. So they're not really scared. So you can sneak up on them all the time. I see when I do this up to state, I probably see more wildlife in a week than I do trail running the rest of the year. I mean, I've seen close encounters with bobcats and coyotes and, and just tons of deer that, that, that they get spooked. And then they look at me like, what? is that because I'm pretty camo. I, I, I'd like to sort of blend in. And uh, as long as you just don't move and you're just floating down, they think you're some kind of weird log or something. I don't know, but it is super cool. And just going, it takes you a while. It took me probably a year to get my feet uh, used to it. And I don't understand how I, I, it makes sense standing up all day and not moving your feet. It's going to, I mean, my feet used to go to sleep, but now they don't. And I don't understand how, what it is, but y- your body just gets used to it. And I have no problem. I'd rather be out on the water all day paddling easy. I'm going easy backpacking pace. But the thing of it is you're using mostly core and lower back. If, you, if, you, if you're paddling properly and you're not using your arms, your arms are just a, they're just a pivot 
for you know for you know the, the whole thing is you're bending at the waist so it's all lower body and the weight of your upper body is kind of what propels you you just kind of fall forward when you're doing that stroke and it's easy to to do a decent pace and it's not at all hard to put in 40 miles in a day are you wearing shoes i wear hoka shoes that's a, a, and i've always done that and I, that makes sense a lot of paddlers are barefoot mm-hmm. you think about it there's no cushion no. between your feet and something hard because most paddle boards, there's no, there's no significant cushion on that. So having that cushion is going to allow the circulation in your feet a lot easier. You're just not squishing your feet, and it just makes sense. So, are you, what kind of board are you using? I use my racing board. So it's a 14-foot, 26-inch wide, like, world-class, like, expensive racing board. Yeah, like carbon fiberglass. Fiber. Fiberglass. Um, and it's a, cha- it's a challenge for most paddlers, most stand-up paddleboarders to just get on my board and just stand. But if you think about it, you spend our entire lives balancing on something that doesn't move. And to stand up paddleboard, you got to learn how to balance all over it. Just like a slack line. You can't jump on it and just expect to do it right away. And it's more muscle memory, but you're, you're doing, you're using a whole different way to balance yourself. Cause if you think about it, when you trip, walking or running or something and you and you you got you get lurched to one side you strengthen that side to catch yourself to rebalance your body if you do that on a paddleboard it's going to cave in that side and you're going to fall in so it's it's more of relaxing your body and for sure you want to shift your weight the other way so it's completely opposite than what's intuitive to your body to do so you just got to do it. And that what I suggest to a lot of people, if you really want to learn how to be a good stand-up paddleboarder, don't go out for an hour. Go out for five hours and just suffer through a five-hour day on the board. And then go out and do it, you know, maybe take a day rest and go do it again. But if most people that are into this sport or into paddling in general, they're, they're not going to go every day. They wouldn't go maybe once a week or once a month. But if you wait till once a month, you got to learn all over again. You got to get it so your body knows it right off, and so you don't have to think too much about it. And that, and then if it's something you like as a as a form of exercise rather than just recreation, you need to get out and do it. I mean, you need to do it every week. And when I train for, I mean, I, I don't train really for anything. I did some specific training for this to begin with, but I paddle year round. It's not something I train for, you know, for a, an event. So I, I just like getting out. I mean, even when it's super cold, I don't use my racing board when it's really cold. I did have a scary thing where I <laughs> fell in. It was like 40 degrees. Water wasn't bad because it was kind of late, you know, early winter, but it was cold air temperature. And I'm like, Oh boy, this is cold. And I started feeling hypothermia like right off. And I had to get to the other side of the of the channel because that's where there were docks and stuff. So I had dry clothes and stuff. By the time I got out, I was I was getting scary where it was shaking, where I was cold, cold, cold. That was that was on this trip. This, no, no, this oh, is what, just this, this was, was several winters ago. Okay. So I I dried off, got into dry clothes, everything's good, and I'm like, oh, now what happens? What if I fall in again? I'm having to knock on somebody's door to save my life. So it is, uh, yeah, it's kind of one of those things you, you definitely want to be prepared. If you do fall in, you got, you know, dry clothes, you probably want to end that trip as quick as possible. Yeah. I, uh, was, did you fall in during your, uh, last trip? On you your know, birthday? I, that there, there, I had, I had two goals really <laughs> as far as, 
I, I didn't want to fall down on the backpack trip at all. Yeah. I did want to, I did want to do 20 miles a day and I did 25. So I, I, I did achieve a couple other goals, but I was like laser focused on not falling down. Cause I mean, obviously when you get hurt, um, it, it, it could ruin the trip. Yeah. Especially when you get older, it's kind of scary how easy it is to get hurt and how long it takes to heal. So I was super, uh, conscious. I mean, every motion moment, especially some of these trails are really overgrown and easy to trip and fall. And I, I was great except like, this was like two and a half two. I mean, it was, no, that was maybe more five days into it. Anyway, it was not, not even halfway. And I'm on the phone with my wife and just talking, talking, talking. Trip. <laughs> phone goes flying. It's like rare that I could talk because there's hardly ever cell coverage. I'm like, okay, that's not going to happen again. So every, every time then on, when I got on the phone, I stopped walking. Yeah. Um, and on the paddle, I usually don't. I purposely jump in, you know, in August. You know, you want to cool off. Another great thing about stand-up paddleboarding is it's easy to get back on. So, you, you know, you want to jump in once in a while. Uh, it was it was that Hurricane Nancy, I think, was the one that came through. And it just nailed me for half of one day and then sort of half of the next day. And all night it was just raining and windy. And so... That that day, I'm traveling down, and I'm like, it, the the wind was at my back, so I was making a lot of, of progress that day. It was great. And it was challenging standing up and catching these waves, but I'm like, I don't care if I fall in or not. And I didn't fall in, and that was like, I was really proud of myself. I turn a corner, and I had a consistent tailwind. I turn a corner, and it's like the wind is coming from every direction. I couldn't figure it out because usually you get these swells that are all nice and they're in consistent form. I turned the corner and they're like these waves that are smashing into each other and going from all different directions. I was on the wrong side of the channel. I needed to get to the other side to get s some relief from the wind. So I'm sitting down, which is the stablest place you could be. And I fell in twice sitting, sitting down. down. Wow. Cause it was just it was a hot tub. big waves coming all over the place, and it was a, it was kind of a a train wreck. And I, I'm, I'm out, all my gear is is tied down pretty tight, so I didn't lose anything. But yeah, I, that was the only time I fell in. Yeah, on, when, I mean w that I got knocked in basically. Yeah, and when you're when you're on the paddleboard, you don't have anything, and you don't have a backpack on, right? You everything's tied to the board. Everything's tied to the board. Did I, I don't did have you have a leash? Do you still have the same? Um, the same amount of equipment, your 18 pounds, basically. No, yeah. It, the could, cool thing about paddling too, is you're not wearing anything on your back. I can put 110 extra pounds on my board. Yeah, it doesn't. So matter. I went from, you know, freeze dried food to, you know, tasty bites and stuff that weighs more. And I, you know, I, I have a, a bigger filter, um, a better stove. Uh, that's about it. Can I mean, we, it was, it was more weight for sure. I definitely had better food. Let's talk about, um, I love gear. Let's talk about <laughs> your, what gear made your 18 pounds and then your food and all that. You kind know, of stuff. the big one was the tent. i this is my third single person kind of bivy tent. Mm -hmm. Um, it's REI's flash air one. Okay. By far the best investment I made. My other, my other two single person bivy tents cost $40 and the other one was $65. 
this guy was $220. (laughs) So, but worth every penny because the, you know, the rain flies built into it, super small, super smart with the poles. Um, yeah, it's just, and it has a vestibule on it. So I could put all of my, my gear and I can cook under the vestibule out of the tent and the, you know, the tent itself is just super comfy and you can sit up in it. Yeah. It's by far the best one that I've ever owned for sure. And that weighs one pound, one pound. Yeah. And that's impressive that it, the, that it's an REI tent. REI is usually more of the, the budget. It's not like a big Angus or, you yeah. know, a I mean, all of tent. the reviews I, I saw on it, they were, they were saying the same thing. You know, we're not expecting, you know, REI to have, you know, top of the line kind of gear like this. Yeah. And, and yeah, a lot of these guys were really surprised and they were all, I mean, I didn't, I didn't read anything negative about it anywhere. Okay. So what was your uh, sleeping pad? So I went from a blow up, uh, I forgot the name of it to old school, just the accordion folds huh. up bulky. Yeah. You but know, light. You tie it down, but it's light and bulky. indestructible. I mean, yeah. that's one thing that, that was great. So that actually saved me some weight there too. Um, I went to a, to a quilt instead of a sleeping bag. So that was super, super lightweight. Did, did it in the summer. Don't, didn't really even need anything. There was a couple of nights that got a little bit chilly, but you know, that's one thing that you don't need much. Yeah. What were the dates of this project? So I started it, I think it was the 30th, no, the 29th of August. Okay. Okay. That's a, okay. So pretty, pretty hot days. And sadly it rained all night, the first two nights and my feet were wet all day the second and third days. Now I knew I'd have blister issues, but I didn't think I'd have them that soon. So I'm pretty blister prone just being an ultra runner my whole life. And, but man, these were, these were some doozies that, you know, took good part of a week to kind of get them worked out. And I, I kind of come to the point, just blister. I mean, take a look at it once in a while. Um, put some immune oil on it every night just to make sure, but just let them alone. Just, you know, they'll bust on their own. They'll, as long as it doesn't get affected, I just don't mess with them. And yeah, it kind of sucked for, for good part of a week and then feet were good. And then they healed up during the trip. Yeah. During the trip. Yeah. Didn't know, didn't notice them at all. You know, the last three or four days and the whole paddle trip was great. What, uh, what water filter were you using in the hiking session? I don't know the name of it, uh, but it is it remind me a lot of those those like squeeze things you do if you want to work on your climbing strength. Yeah. So it's just yeah. got a little bladder in it, and it's it's just fist size. Yeah. I had that in my front pocket the whole time, so just didn't that didn't weigh anything. That was probably a uh, that was probably a, a, a one fifth of the weight of my old filter. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty big deal. And then just you know stupid little stuff that. I get it. Titanium's expensive to deal with, but man, that just the the pot I have, it's rubber on the top, titanium on the bottom, and it collapses, collapses yeah. down. And with the, with a super lightweight rubber, you know, cup that goes in and that, you know, that saved a pound probably. Cause my old stove was, um, I, you know, I had a jet boil was my stove before and, and opted for, um, super, super lightweight little tiny thing that just screws onto the gas can. Yeah. So that, you know, all that. And I just, I just downsize stuff I didn't need. You know, usually I have a kind of a dop kit that has everything. I mean, I literally cut my toothbrush in half. <laughs> so, you know, little things didn't take a whole tube of toothpaste. Didn't, you know, just 
didn't never why bring a comb on a backpacking trip oh that doesn't weigh anything i'll bring it just in case <laughs> never ever have i used it yeah <laughs> so yeah little things like that what about food what did you and and how did you resupply yeah so i it was seven so i had 18 pounds that was seven days of food and one liter of, of water 18 pounds includes the food yep okay and so um that was half. I mean, I figured I could, I could do that in seven days and have somebody meet me and they met me halfway through and I still had a, I mean, that was day six. So I still had a day left. So, um, so yeah, just somebody, you know, resupplied me halfway through, met me on the road. We did a swap, kept going. And, and what were you, was your food any good? Was it all, you know, it, it's all freeze dried food. And I, and I've always had really good experience taste wise with freeze dried food. With the exception of, it's mount like Mountain Man or something like that. Yeah, I know that one. Food and it That's was a blue package. I it think. was yeah, it was a uh, like egg bowl or something. But those eggs, I mean, it, it. I don't even. I can't even tell you what kind of food it tasted like. But it was so far away from an egg. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> and they, I, and I, I really thought I'd dig it before. I, so I, I think there were, on the whole trip, I had three of them. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. I, of course, saved, saved them to the very end. But other than that, it was great. All, all freeze-dried food. Yeah. And, so, and then in the morning, I really don't like to eat much in the morning. But I know I just, especially you know, going 25 miles, I needed more calories. So um I love the the uh, Starbucks, um, the instant coffees. The, not the Vias, but the ones uh, like peppermint spice latte, oh. which is just sugar and yeah, and they're caffeine. the bigger packets, but those are so, fantastic. Yeah, so I get that. So that's some good calories, and then I just do oatmeal for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of do that super quick, and then I eat bars all day long, and and some and grain. A lot of I mean, I try to try to stick to as real food as possible, but. I was kind of weighing the weight of bars. <laughs> yeah. What's the lightest bar that has the most calories? Yeah. And then and then you get to your campsite, and uh, that's when you splurge and make the hot water with the freeze-dried. Dry. Yeah. 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 Uh, now, are you, how long, what time are you waking up, and what time you end, what time you, how many hours are you hiking Yeah, a it's, day? I mean, it literally was all day long, and I think there was something to the tune of 13 and a half hours of daylight, something like that, maybe more. So I was, you know, I was waking up at, you know, probably five, you know, four thirty to five ish. Um, try to go back to sleep until I kind of see a little bit of light. But usually I'm up and and have coffee and breakfast sort of done. And and I'm now there's there was two days I can yeah there's two days that I took off with my headlamp, maybe for twenty minutes. So pretty much uh, sun up, and there was only two, yeah, the two 30-mile days I got to camp after dark, but almost all the day. There's been a couple days that I was like, I'm tired. I've already done you know, 27 miles. I'm good. So I'd you know, get to camp an hour before the sun goes down. But. Did, were you kind of, did you know where you wanted to camp, or were you just, mm-hmm. when you're tired, you're just, yeah, just winged time. it. You know, the first couple days, I had a pretty good idea because I knew the, knew the course really well. Yeah. So I, I pretty much stuck to those two campsites, but beyond that, I just, and there were some times I got, you know, it was getting late. I couldn't find a campsite. And I, one time I slept on a flat rock right in the middle of the Creek bed. And I'm like, man, if it rains tonight, I'm so screwed. <laughs> uh, 
So were there any new sections of this trail? Have, have you been on every section before? No, um, no, I haven't. And some of the sections that I had been on, I was really disappointed that there wasn't any maintenance because I was the last one that went there and, and cut the trees out three years ago. And it was obvious that nobody's been there since Yeah, on a couple of sections. But um, all, most of the northern sections I haven't seen. You know, they were brand new to me and gorgeous. I mean, really, really nice, really nice stuff. I'm, so can't wait to get it all open so you, you can not have to worry about getting lost is the main thing. How did you charge your phone? So that I originally had my pack at fifteen pounds, and then you three and then I battery. added I added the technology because I was thinking, <laughs> man, I I got this new Garmin watch, which I kind of like that. I I don't hardly ever wear a watch, um, but I kind of dug it because it t- told me exactly how fast I was going or close enough. So charging the watch and charging my phone every night because I wanted to track this and make sure I got a, a accurate enough plot. So I had the watch for basically the the distance was better than the phone and I used a view ranger to plot my route and that's what saved me too because that you know I had the route down pretty much because I not only knew most a lot of the course but I've talked to a lot of the rangers and they told me you know here here's the accurate you know course map as opposed to some of them that wasn't so accurate on the map as far as the the mainly the road hike arounds and you know, there was, you know, there was uh, three pieces of private property that I trespassed without getting permission. But, you know, I did talk to a, a local guy on one section. He said, don't worry about it. They're, they don't care. It's all, it's all cool. They, they're all nice people. Another guy said, you know, that section is all managed by a land organization. You know, it's, they're, you know, they're farming the trees and they're hunting contracts and that kind of stuff. So they're, they're cool with hikers going through. So and then the only one that was I knew that was kind of owner McNasty, I just uh, bushwhacked straight up the hill to the road, so yeah. skipped most of his property. Yeah, and those are going to be the hard sections to to finish the trail off. Well, that one that's you know right before Highway Thirty um, is critical, and we got to get it done. I mean, Graceful Mountain section that ends, and um, I don't know what they're going to do. They're trying to work it out now. Yeah. What are some options? P- pay him a ridiculous amount of money. I don't uh, really. I mean, I don't know why they, I mean, it, he's not going to use it. It's too steep to develop. Yeah. He's just being a jerk about it. And I don't understand. It makes no sense. Hmm. I mean, there's study upon study that if you have a nice big trail through or near your property, your property value goes up by 30% or more. Hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's just a pretty smart, smart thing for any property owner. Yeah. So, um, once, what kind of food were you eating once you got on the paddleboard? A lot of Tasty Bites. I don't know if you know Tasty Bites. I don't. I thought I didn't know that's actually like a brand or something. Yeah, it is. What is Tasty Bites? It's, it's basically just, um, it's a cooked meal in a, in a packet. Hmm. So and and you you want to heat them up, but you don't have to. And a lot of times I didn't. Um, and I most of them I put over rice. Um, not necessarily tasty bite rice, but they have, they have good rice. Um, but yeah, all kind, a lot of, a lot of like Indian food and Korean food. And, you know, most of it seems like it's more Asian, but there's a couple Mexican dishes they have, but yeah, you just open the packet and heat it up. Where'd you buy this? I've never heard of them. Um, at, uh, I mean, at, uh, food city. Oh yeah. Okay. But they're in the, 
They're in the uh, health food aisle or international aisle or something. Tasty bites. Yeah, I'll try bites. them out. Um, what What was it like to? You said you had to do five portages. Yeah. And tell us, walk us through a portage. How do you do that? Well, I um, I built my own wheel wheels basically. Oh, there you go. So yeah. it and that that stays on my paddleboard the whole trip. Oh, and you just flip it upside down. I flip and, my but, whole board upside yeah. down. Yeah. And so I take the main pack that I have that has my dry bag, big dry bag. I put that on the back of the, of the board. And then I just have a leash kind of on the front that I just drag the thing. So it's really nice to be able to go. And, and the other one is a, is a dry bag backpack. Mm-hmm. And so the only other thing that I carry other than my paddle is my, my cushion that I sit on. Um, and it also has a big, one of those big floaty things that kids you know, use in the pool. Oh, usually the they're skinny, the, the noodles, the, but it's, it's a skinny noodle inside of a big noodle. I don't oh. know if there's two different sizes. The reason for that is when I'm sitting down and I like to sit down, it, it, it definitely helps to do that. I probably, I probably sit down and paddle. So basically converting a stand up paddleboard into a, a canoe. Yeah. Probably, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15% of the time. Mm-hmm. But when I'm sitting down, my legs are straight out and it, and it, I'm sitting up a little bit. So it kind of hyper extends my knee. So I put this noodle underneath that to just make it easier for my knee. So that's the only thing that I carry. Um, and I just drag it around the dam. And it used to be that Chickamauga dam was by far the worst portage. It yeah. was horrible because it was on river, right. And scramble up these nasty rip rap. And then you got to go down the road. There's hardly any, shoulder and people are you know screaming by you it's horrible but they recently just paved a, a place that goes from the swimming the main swimming pool yep. area the swimming area and on the lake up underneath highway 27 and back around so it became from the worst to probably one of the best it goes just. underneath the underneath highway 27 no way it's awesome you can park public and park there right underneath highway i'm um, 157 i'm sorry or 153. Yeah. Oh, it goes underneath 153. Yeah. I have to check that out. I didn't so know when that. You, the, the way to get to it, when you're going to the bottom side of the dam, yes. to go to all the Riverwalk stuff, yes. you can see the there's another road that goes up there, and it says something like, I think there might say like to Visitor Center, which is closed now for pandemic. I've never been in it. But you literally park right underneath 153. So the river trail basically is now extended underneath that. Pretty much, yeah. And goes to the swimming area, uh, which is, is that Chester? What, what's that? No, what's it, it's, a, it's, that a, park? it's a park. It's just um, Chickamauga Park or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a county park. Okay. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah it was nice. So yeah, those, the portages are nice, not, nice relief. Um I can't, I mean, every single trip, this is the seventh year I've done this up to state. And every time there's, I mean, there's been people from the dam that get in their truck and drive out. What are you doing? You can, you can go through the lock if you want. I mean, it's great. And it's like, I, I mean, I like it. I, I've been through the lock a couple of times on my paddleboard, which is cool, but it just seems like a tremendous waste of energy. Waste just to of get resources. Just right. <laughs> one guy in a paddleboard. I wonder what the cost is. I wonder how much, if you broke down the cost, how much it yeah. costs to pump all the water in and out. Per uh, yeah. And the, yeah, those pumps are huge because they're, they're moving that water 
fast. Like, does it cost 30 bucks for him every time? Or I don't know. You know. That's a good question. I'd like to find out. I'd like to talk to a TVA guy. Yeah. Who knows that? Yeah. So it's cool. When, when do you think the best time to hike the Cumberland is? If there's a through hiker listening to this and they wanted to, to do what you did. Man, that's the cool thing about living in this part of the country because there's literally no bad times. A lot of people don't like the summer just because of the the heat and the bugs and the snakes and stuff. But, I mean, I I had no problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a couple ticks, one little bout of chiggers. And for people that don't like chiggers, don't don't let them get you. I don't, under, <laughs> I don't understand it. They're going to get on you. A lot of times, they, I mean, I think it's grassy sections that they really like to get on. So they're going to get on your leg or wherever, but they need to they need to be on you overnight to cause a problem. So, and they call some call them noceums. They're really super small. If you ever think that you got in a in a grassy section where a, a chigger is going to get on you, when you get home, put get somebody with a magnifying glass on, and you just scrape them off with your fingernail. They they come off so easy. Just don't let them stay on you overnight. You're never going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. So I had one night. Uh, no, there's two nights that I, so every night I'm looking for them. Cause I just, I, I, they don't bother me that much. And I think if I just let them do their thing, you know, my, your, the human skin is an amazing organ. It, it, it will develop an immunity over time to chiggers, to chiggers. I mean, I've developed immunity to, to uh, mosquitoes and ticks. I just don't, they don't, they ticks don't, don't like me anymore. I don't understand it. They used to eat me up. I, th- I mean, and they, I hardly ever get them to burrow anymore. Hmm. I get them crawling on me, but they, 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 they never dig like in. And I don't understand the mosquito thing. That has just happened in the last couple of years. I've never used mosquito repellent at all. And I mean, every once in a while, they'll, I can see them digging into me, but they just, it doesn't get me, doesn't bother me. And hardly ever do I get bit. I just don't understand that. Well, you're very fortunate because yeah, there's a yes. lot of people. Where that's not the case. Well, I think, I mean, I just believe that we have only just begun to understand the human body. I mean, it is Mm -hmm. way, way smarter than we think it is, I think, especially when it comes to skin. Um, Yeah, we need to take care of it with regards to sun and, you know, that kind of stuff. And obviously lotion, if you want to look younger as as you can. (laughs) But, yeah, just putting, putting chemicals on our skin, you know, just to keep the critters away i just has never made sense what about poison ivy are you oh that's another one and i knew see there's a a fourth of my family that's cherokee indian and i've heard that you know that i've heard that back in the day yeah they would feed the kids poison ivy they would give them they would eat eat it i've not heard of that and they will develop an immunity to it over time and there was a certain dosage and i'm like yeah i don't know i'm just i'm just gonna let it go but when we moved to the south we had poison ivy in Colorado, but not like we had nothing here. like yeah. here. And man, I tell you, that first year was brutal. I mean, it just ate us up. I mean, big like pustulating nastiness. And we both stuck to it and said we just gotta let it run its course. And it, we did. And the next year wasn't so bad. And the third year, even less. And since then, I can swim in the stuff all day long. And you don't maybe every once in a while there'll be like a tiny little red bump or something that shows up in the middle of nowhere that doesn't make sense. And it's like, well, I was in a lot of poison ivy yesterday. Uh, but it, it never, it's never bothered me in, well, probably 18 years now. Wow. 
But I must say, but is a bad first year. A good friend of mine uh, that has basically lived in it his whole life, and it's never bothered bothered him. Like the day he turned, I think it said it was like fifty or something. He got in it, and it was major reversal. He had to go to the hospital. It was brutal. He had to get steroid shots. And I'm like, are you sure you don't get in it a lot? And he says, I get in it all the time. For some reason, my body's just developed a really bad allergy to it all over. Well, that's kind of, that can happen with bees, too. Bee stings. You yeah, can I've get, heard that. Yeah, you can get stung your whole life, and then it's one time, it's like your body's, okay, I'm tired of protect. Yeah. some <laughs> kind of reaction. Yeah, I, that makes no sense, but. I don't understand Knock it. on wood. So far, so good for the poison ivy. I've, n- I've never heard of the reversal. I've heard of people not being, I've heard of the your friend's story, but I, I haven't heard of, usually poison ivy, I thought it gets worse and worse with the older you get, I haven't heard of anyone who's well, there's a couple of friends of mine have taken my advice and they, they just, have you ever ate it? it? No, I've never eaten it. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did have a friend in Colorado that inhaled it. They burnt, they didn't know they were burning right. poison ivy, but they burned a bunch of it and he inhaled it and he almost died. Yeah. It got in his lungs and just about ended his life. Are, are you allergic to anything? Um, I don't know. I, I don't, not that I'm aware of. I don't, I can't think of anything. Yeah. I know that, um, I, I'm, I'm a little sensitive to, to milk for some reason. Mm. I, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I, if I drank a glass of milk, my nose would start itching. Wow. Yeah. And I don't understand that, but a friend of mine said, yeah, that's, that's, that's common. You see kids with little lines on their nose. Mm-hmm. They're doing this because they're oh. allergic to milk and they're squishing their nose up. And he's, he's, he's an allergy specialist. And he said, that's one of the most notorious things coming in, you know, into his office. He sees kids with wrinkles on their nose. He said, milk, don't feed your kid milk anymore. Wow. So I, that's the only thing I can think of. What kind of wildlife did you see? Um, do you see any snakes? Saw really, I mean, people don't like rattlesnakes, but, and especially an adolescent rattlesnake is probably the most, that's probably the most dangerous creature that we have in this part of the country. Um, is an adolescent rattlesnake. So copperheads are, they're, they're probably the most notorious for getting, I mean, most, most of the venomous snakes here, snake bites are copperheads. Um, because they're, I think they're a little bit more um, aggressive than a, a, a timber rattler. I mean, but I've I've run into both of those snakes, you know, ever since we moved here, and I, I don't. They're both. They both don't care about us at all. But apparently, a, an adolescent, a, an adult timber rattlesnake, they have a thing called a dry bite. So it will bite you, and that they want to. Res- sort of reserve their venom for when they really need it. So the first one's kind of a scare and it's the same thing for, for copperheads as well, but it's worse for the rattlesnake because the adolescent hasn't developed that dry bite thing yet. Yeah. So they've got to be like several years old or something. So it's giving you a full dose and and rattlesnake venom is way more toxic than copperhead venom. So everybody says just, absolutely avoid an adolescent timber rattlesnake but an adult you're better off getting bit by a rattlesnake than a than a than a copperhead 
because the dry bite is like hardly any venom. Whereas a dry bite for a, a copperhead does give you a little bit of venom. Oh, so I am not going to test that theory at yeah. all. So I like to leave them alone. And, and a friend of mine's a ER has been an ER doctor for like 30 years. He says like 90% of the, of the snake bites that come into his, come into the ER are people trying to pick them up. Yeah. And the one and only death that he was aware of, and the guy didn't last five minutes because he was anaphylactic yeah. to copperhead and it shuts down your lungs if you're really sensitive to them. Um, and he didn't, he didn't live five minutes. So, um, leave them alone. <laughs> they don't want anything to do with you. My wife has stepped on two copperheads. Didn't bite her at all. Wow. Have you ever stepped on one? No. Stay away. <laughs> so, wow. And you've been out in the, I mean, so there's no reason to be afraid to walk on trails with snakes. Cause you've, you've absolutely you've, not. You've been thousands of hours in the and, woods. Anybody walking on a trail, you're walking right by snakes, and you don't know it. I guarantee you, every trail that you're on in the middle of summer, there are snakes everywhere. This is the best place in America to live for snakes because there's so many varieties. You're scaring so many And there's only two of them that are going to hurt you. But all of them are scared of you. They are going to run away. Anybody that says that there's aggressive snake in this part of the country, they're smoking something. Yeah, there's parts of the country, obviously – well, what about uh, water moccasins? Yes, there are water moccasins potentially here, and I've talked to a bunch of rangers about that. People go to Florida, and they get water moccasins, and they bring them to – I mean, why would anybody want to do that? It's, it's beyond me. Same with an alligator. There are alligators here, but they only live through the summer. Yeah, It's too cold for them. So whoever, if, if you see an alligator, you might have seen them. They're not going to live more than a year. Same with same with the water moccasins. Mm-hmm. As it as the climate gets warmer and warmer, just like the the, the arm, armadillo, the armadillo's getting up here. Yeah, now. it's yeah. coming up here. So yeah, they might drift up this way. But right now, there's no aggressive snakes anywhere in this part of the country. I I read that um, the only time there's an alligator in Tennessee is it, if it sometimes they come up the Mississippi River and they're by Memphis just for a little yeah. bit and they go back down. Yeah, I talked to a guy. I said, I know the I know a guy that goes down there every year and brings alligators back to to Huntsville area. Huh? Puts them in the water because he wants he just wants alligators. Yeah. <laughs> and he's killing them. I don't understand. You're killing the alligator when you do that. <laughs> wow, that's pretty funny. He's yeah. trying to uh, get a population going. That's right. Did you see any bears? Yeah, there's a cool uh, look on my the uh, the link I sent you for the photos. Okay. So there's one bear, and bears are cute. They are super cute, especially little guys like this. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the problem is that they're curious. They're like, Hey, what's going on? And if anybody's ever fed a bear or if a bear's ever eaten human food, they have an amazing smell. They can smell for miles. And so if they've eaten human food and they see you, they kind of, they make that connection. So Anybody out there that feeds a bear, you're killing that bear yeah. because they're going to go, they're going to find people. And, uh, I've gotten a lot of stories to tell from, from people that have, you know, outfitters or guides or whatever. They're required, uh, to basically call, you know, TWRA and say, Hey, you know, there's a bear that's, you know, they're, they're feeding them at such and such place. And they come and they'll tranquilize the bear and they'll tell everybody though, well, we're going to transplant it, but they have to put them down. I mean, because they're, they're now a danger to humans and for sure they're a danger to themselves. I mean, it's, it's really sad what we're doing to the bears because we're, we're, 
we're choking off all of their their food sources so they're having to go farther and farther and they're you know not as bad as the polar bears but we're we're making it really hard for them to live but i did have a couple couple encounters one kind of it could have been close because he was super curious about me and he and i could have taken him I, i don't know if i could have you could have taken him out, like fighting him. I don't know. I don't think I've maybe taken him out, but I'd have, I'd have hurt him for sure. How are you gonna hurt him? I was bigger than him. Kick him, headlock. I would have, I would have kicked him. I'd have, I'd have taken it. I don't know for sure, and I know it would never have come to it. But I, I, I do think about it from time to time. What if I had to fight a bear? What would I do? I think you headlock him. I think exactly right, and try to flip him over and get on top. Just like you'd take a person. And start punching him in the face. <laughs> I, I think just like... A, I think you're right. I think you'd jump on their back. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, he, he started coming toward me. I said, little guy, you got to go. Get. Come yeah. on, get. Yeah. And I started walking. He walk, was coming towards you. He was coming toward me. And I started walking towards him. And then he's like, oh, that's not good. So he took yeah. off. And then my thought was, I'll bet mom could be right in the bush right there. Yeah, because there's a little baby. It, it was, I mean... It probably, it, it could have weighed, it, I mean, it's, they're, 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 they're heavy, even when they're small. It, it could have weighed 200 pounds, maybe. Uh, 150, for sure. Maybe not more than 150. I don't know. I, I probably couldn't have taken, but I would have tried hard. <laughs> but bears are not, bears are, they are not aggressive. Worry, don't worry about bears. There has been a few human deaths because of bears in, in the Koei Hiawassee area, um, but it is, 100 percent the the person's fault i heard the story and you don't feed a bear marshmallows and then start throwing rocks at him i mean it just doesn't make sense so it it they it, when they get older they get they get grumpy i mean especially if you're not giving them what they want and if they especially if they're starving so yeah giving them marshmallows and throwing rocks at him is not so that was the story that's yeah. what that was their strategy to interacting with the wildlife yeah, I want to I want to take pictures of my my kids with this bear, and so it's like just beyond stupidity. I, I grew up in Michigan, and we would vacation in the Upper Peninsula, and one of the activities people did. There's nothing, you know, it's the wilderness. You, you go to the you go to the dump at dusk, and the bears all come yep. and eat the human garbage, and it's you know five six cars, and you're kind of walking around. There's bears around, and I remember kind of a, a bear sauntered towards me and I was scrambling for the minivan and shut and shut the door as the bear came right up to the side of the car. Yeah. 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 They can't do that anymore. The the dumps don't let you hang out there. Well, I mean, I, it's going to, I believe firmly that in the entire country and the continent, whatever world that bears are going to get more and more aggressive because like I just said, you know, they're, they're, they're getting hungry, hungrier. I mean, if, they're they're not a danger if they're if they're well fed, without a doubt. And if they start eating human food, they're going to start coming after more human food. They're going to be around. I mean, there's bears that went that were in downtown, right? So there they, was that one in Highland so, Park. Yeah, they you know they relocate them to a place that was way too close to downtown because they were at a, eating out of a dump somewhere. So they start smelling the food, and it ends them in a dump downtown, and someone's. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to do that more and more. And the, the hungrier they get, the more dangerous they're going to be. So we need to stop these ridiculous developments that we're having and choking off all their food and people cutting down the trees and putting up chem lawns that n- no creature is going to eat. I mean, it just makes no sense that we keep doing that. 
We gotta we gotta learn. What about mountain lions? So I didn't see one, but I'm pretty confident that was a pretty fresh mountain lion track that I I, I took a picture of, mm-hmm. and it got it got a little bit scarier. I mean, because it was fresh. Um, I, I guess it could have been within 24 hours or whatever, but it looked pretty fresh. Um, and that night, and I'm camped, camped out in the middle of nowhere at, at a, at a Creek crossing that night I heard kittens and I don't know what a baby mountain lion sounds like, but without a doubt, it, it sounded like a, 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 a small cat meowing. And, a, and you I mean, weren't kitten, near, you weren't near homes or anything. No, or there was cat. nothing remotely near. There was a, there was an old like i mean it might have been some kind of fire break or maybe a old still road or something that there was atv tracks on it and then i looking at the map it was i mean it was miles and miles to the nearest dirt road where were you, where was this section this was out about? this was north of let me think about this um Carryville, what well, they call it the devil's backbone then I go north of that, and I don't know the names of the trails. North of that, there's a little road section, um, and then it jumps back on the trail. So it's getting closer to the to the main uh, Cumberland Air Cumberland Gap area. So I was probably I was probably less than it was less than a day uh, to the Cumberland Gap. So you know probably you know within you know twenty. 30. 30 or 40 miles. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the next day I was, I was uh, finished it basically. So pretty rugged area and not a whole lot going. That's where they have elk. Mm. Um, so there's, they have elk hunts there. Uh, it's the only spot next to the, to the uh, Smoky mountains where there's elk. Wow. So a lot of wildlife there. Did but, you see an elk? No, but I saw elk tracks. That's for cool. sure. Yeah. That's really, really cool. cool. Um, so saw a couple bobcats, you know, there, I mean, it's an, that's another thing that most people, if they if they're quiet and they they really pay attention, you you can probably see a bobcat almost any like dusk or dawn on a trail almost anywhere. There's a lot of them around Chattanooga, a lot of bobcats. What's what is a how can you tell a mountain lion track from a bobcat? Same, it's 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 a cat. Just have your 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 house cat go you know walk in the mud, and that's exactly what they'll look like. It it it's lot it's similar to a dog. But it, you, you can't see the toenails because the toenails of cats retract. Um, and it's just a big cat print. I mean, you can tell the difference between a bobcat and a, and a mountain lion just by the size more it's, than anything. It's just the size. Yep. And it's no different than a house cat. I mean, slightly different shape, but there's hardly any other creature with that kind of, that kind of footprint. Did you see the track? And then you camped nearby. Is that what? Yeah, it was like you saw the track within within two uh, within two hours of seeing the track is where I camped. And then that night you heard the yeah. the little kittens. You didn't get your headlamp out to. <laughs> it's like maybe get out there din right across the creek because it was not far away. I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave leave the tent zipped up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, I um yeah, I saw a couple of bobcats and a lot just a lot of deer, a lot of bald eagles, especially on the paddle trip. Tons of god, the river otters are so great on the Clinch River. Uh if you ever want to go do just a phenomenal cuz the Clinch River I was told it's the only dam on the entire TVA system where the water comes from the bottom of the lake. 
and they did that specifically for the fish. But I think there's two dams. The Hiawassee, the, the uh, Natahelia, the the water comes from. Does it? Okay. Yeah, because it's so cold. Because it's really, really cold. Yeah, in August, it's like 48 because degrees. Because it comes from the bottom. Yeah. And it's crystal clear water. You see these massive trout. That's why they did it for the fish and the trout. Mm. It's world-class trout fishing, but all kinds of other trout. But the river otters love that cold water, and they are just the cutest animals ever. And they are super curious. They want to, I mean, I was, I was camping one night, this was not this year, but last year, right next to the water, um, and I must have been close to their home or something, because, like, before I went to bed, I looked, and two of them were, like, popping their head up, like, making these goofy little noises they make, and they're like, what's going on? I've never seen that guy here before, and then first thing in the morning, I looked out, and there they were, hey, what are you doing? Just <laughs> what's going out? on, man? Hey. Got any extra food? I mean, they're just so, so cool. Um, yeah, can't get enough of them. And saw not a lot of snakes. I think I've seen a lot more snakes in, in years past, probably. But, um, yeah, it's a great, just every every possible kind of critter. You, I mean, God, the raccoons are scary. There's so many of them sometimes. I mean, there's one morning I got up, and I was paddling a little bit before the sun came up with my headlamp, I'll bet I saw 20 of them at a cave and some of them were in the cave and, but there was all in the trees and on the cliff and just this massive raccoon village. It was, yeah, it was kind of, kind of creepy. It was kind of a Stephen King moment. <laughs> do you see you, how many barges do you pass per day? Uh, not hardly at all. Cause the barges don't stop. Don't even start really until you get to the Tennessee river. They, they go up the Powell or the clinch, a little bit um the clinch and the powell join and i think there's barge traffic above that next dam but maybe not is that right no no it, they do allow that there was there was a there was a lock there but i've never seen a barge there and then it's pretty much nickajack uh no no not nickajack chickamauga the, the one above chickamauga yeah forget the name of it oh watts is it watts Watts bar, yeah, yeah, with the nuclear plant there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hardly, hardly any barge traffic up there. So, which means there's hardly any barge traffic that goes to Knoxville, because I just, you know, it's all just seems like it's local. Mm-hmm. So, that's pretty cool. Never, I've never, I never had any issue. I was kind of worried about the the hike, the road hikes around with just a kind of backwoods redneck, but man, a hundred percent friendly people, and had some really cool interactions with them. This one guy is, is is it's on a road section and he's driving this um, electric bike that he made himself. Wow, it was really cool and he talked my ear off and, and he's like, "Well, have a good trip. I hope to see you in a bit." And sure enough, like in in a couple of miles, he pulls over in his old beat up truck with a fishing pole in a package and a bag with a giant can of of pork and beans and a Bible verse book. <laughs> so he's like man i just wanted to help you out and i you know i saw you you didn't have a fishing pole with you so i was hoping to help you out with getting some food i'm like man i don't have any room to carry that but man thanks a lot and did you take the pork and beans though? no but he would not i had to take the bible verse book oh okay. so I, I did take that and i and i i read some of it it was, it was cool then another trip it was really funny there and a lot of the atv especially on this one section everyone stopped 
because I, they had never seen anything. A like person walking. Walking. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you doing? One guy said, man, I've always wanted to do that Cumberland Trail. How far is it? I said, oh, it's like 318, 300 miles? <laughs> <laughs> Hell, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And th- there was there was two side by side, so four people and then a single ATV that stopped, asking where we're going, gave me some good bait on where a campsite was. And this one guy was kind of quiet and he didn't say anything. And then he just said, What do you do for security? Because they all had sidearms, visible. All of them. All everyone had guns. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh guys, you're gonna love this. So I reach in my pocket and I've got this little flip knife. The blade is like an inch and a half <laughs> and they just crack up and I lied cause I hate guns and I, I don't, I don't own a gun at all. And I, but I lied about this just because I want to be part of the, of the team here. Yeah. I said, yeah, I left my handgun at home. I just wanted to go super light on this trip and it was just too heavy. And he's like, man, you should have got the Ruger X 90, yeah. <laughs> whatever. My aunt owned, has that in her handbag all the time. It doesn't weigh anything. And, this other guy said, you dumbass, that's not, you need to Glock G90 or whatever. They just went off they on went guns. back and forth and back and forth, the best backpacking handgun. Yeah, and they don't backpack at all. Not at all, for sure. Yeah. It was classic. But they, yeah, super nice people. I mean, the whole trip was great. They might have had more than one gun yeah. on them. Yeah, for sure. Per person. So yeah, it was a great trip. Highly recommend it. And it's going to continue to get better as they continue to build more. And certainly, hopefully, Wild Trails is going to, get out starting this winter and start doing like multi-day trips. And this is going to be kind of cool. So two problems exist. Number one, we have a lot of trails around Chattanooga and then the Cumberland trail is 300 miles that we're going to take. And that requires a lot of maintenance. And the other problem is there's so many people in our society that have never wilderness camped, never slept on the ground, women that have never peed outdoors. I mean, um, so it's a great opportunity. We are going to provide this no charge. We're going to eat great food. We're going to provide the gear. You need to provide a, a bag liner and your own personal stuff. But we'll give you the pack and the sleeping bag and the pad um, and the tent. So great opportunity. If you've never slept on the ground, never wilderness camp, backpacked, whatever, We'll provide leadership and talk about all the myths that we need to break, you know, that it's so dangerous out there. Like it's the snakes. Everything that people talk about, it is a danger. Um, don't get me wrong. There are snakes out there that if you get bit by one of these snakes, it, you know, it could hurt. But they're they're the most um, unassuming, uh, docile snakes there are. I mean, they don't want anything to do with you. Trees do fall down in a storm. Yeah, you could get hit by a tree. I've been in the wilderness all my life, and I've heard of trees falling down. I've heard them, but I've never seen one. Never one time have I seen one. Um, There are bad guys out there. People of color, yes, there's bad guys out there. But guaranteed, they're not out on the trail to get you. They're not there. I mean, yeah, it happened to century ago sorry about that but they're not it's 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 you just got to get over it and get out it's just an awesome place um for women yeah they're, you're far more at risk in a city than you're on a trail far far more at risk of finding bad people there without a doubt um 
you're, you can get lost without a doubt. There are so many great wayfinding apps and devices. Download the map you want to hike onto any one of the devices and get to know it. Make sure you can follow it. You're not going to get lost. The one I use, View Ranger, I download a map. If I get off the trail 15 feet, an audible alarm can go off and tell me you've gone the wrong way. There's an arrow to tell you, go this direction. Can't get lost. I'm sorry. Um, as long as the battery doesn't run dry. Yeah. Take an extra battery. Um, yeah. The, the, biggest, the biggest issue that people have that causes, um, that causes evacuations in search and rescue is gear. I mean, you gotta, you got to wear sensible shoes and sensible clothes. You could get rained on. You got to bring a rain jacket. You have to bring water that you can drink. Do not drink out of the creek unless you've got a filter. So, I mean, talk to a ranger and you'll you'll find out that most of the accidents happen with with poor footwear because they trip, they roll their ankle because they're you know, they're they're wearing tennis shoes or they're wearing road running shoes. I mean, you need support. If you've never been on a trail, buy some hiking shoes. Get some support and um, the other one is hypothermia. I mean, you just gotta you gotta be prepared. It will, it's wilderness wilderness for a reason. So I mean, all those myths need to go away because it's there's we're in the best city maybe in the world. We have more trails every direction. We have a trail, so there's no excuse not to use them. And and what are you talking about giving away camping gear? What is you're gonna give so, people a bag? And so we will provide this? we will provide the gear, ultralight gear too. So they're they're gonna probably carry ten pounds of, of of gear. So all they need to bring is their own clothing and you know personal hygiene stuff, whatever. Because yeah. we're gonna provide the water filtration and all the food and all the all the food cooking stuff. So all that's going to be done for them. So, you know, we'll, we'll provide that. You don't get to keep it, but for the trip you get to use it. And we're going to start with the overnight, but hopefully we'll be doing, you know, two and three day trips. And so they got to work. Um, most of the work that's needed is just clearing the corridor. I mean, eye pokers, saplings, um, rocks and branches that have fallen on the trail. So it's basically just clearing the tread of the trail um, and, cutting back the, the, the trees that grow onto the trail. You know, there'll be some sections where um, obviously a chainsaw is needed, um, but that's going to be, you know, I mean, unless you're qualified and have credentials, you're not going to be able to use a chainsaw, but then you can, you know, pull the, you know, the tree once we cut it off the tread. And there'll be some sections that got washed out, erosion, whatever, that will, will need some digging tools, but 90% of it is just overgrowth. Yeah, so so, you, so if you easy want, work. Yeah, so if you want to volunteer, go on one of these trips. You can help maintain the trail and have really dialed camping set up, and uh, get to know the trail system yeah. that way. And it's going to be scary. Don't get me wrong. If you've never slept on the ground out in the middle of the wilderness, and you've heard all these stories your whole life about about you know bears and bad guys and bad weather and all trees falling on you, yeah, you're going to be scared. But, um. It just doesn't happen. I mean, statistics are way in your favor that you're going to have a great, great experience that could potentially change your life. So, yeah. Where, uh, when can be, when are when are you going to start this? Um, so we don't have the gear yet, uh, it, but I think it's probably coming like shortly after the new year. So I, we're going to start this winter, um, probably toward the end of January. So if anybody's interested. Uh, go on to volunteer at wildtrails.org. 
Um, it's just a couple answer a couple questions. What do you want to do? But m make sure you click. I want to. Uh, I want to work on trail maintenance, and you'll get on the list. What are What are you planning for a campsite dinners? So that's uh, how you get people, man. I tell you, I got I, I got a buddy, uh, Daniel Miller. He's he's a great cook, and he says I am all in on that. So it he's planning on. I mean, I don't know for sure, but it. Let me just say, it's not going to be food that you would want to backpack with. He's probably going to bring in some serious food. I mean, shrimp like shrimp and scallops. Uh, who knows? I, it would not, because I'm giving him free reign. I mean, it's like we want this to be a great experience. Yeah, we're kind of glorifying it. It's going to be like glamping with on your backpack. But I'm I'm pretty sure he's going to bring really good food and adult beverages. So, mm. um, that you, you definitely want to be involved in in it anyone that follows daniel miller that's yeah for sure because he's a big guy and he can carry a lot of weight sounds like a lot of fun for sure and so the first one's going to be a point to point on the the cumberland trail from hall road um to barker camp so it's 11 miles that we'll do in two days um and camp at uh, holly branch is a great campsite um we're looking for five five people and it'll probably be me and one other that are going to lead it. So we'll be leading groups of if, if two to three. Um, and then Daniel hike in advance, set up camp and then probably come back and help us. So, hmm. so there'll be like eight, you know, seven to eight people total in the group and, um, should be a lot of fun. Are you, um, are you, are you the one that hikes with the chainsaw? I am. Yeah. <laughs> do you use a battery one now or are you still using I gas? I do, but man, I tell you, I, I, my Milwaukee battery power chainsaw is unbelievably awesome i have a ego brand yeah Eco's, chainsaw. Ego's good the only reason is that milwaukee battery lasts a lot longer than any other um cordless tool um but it it still weighs a lot yeah and it, it same same as a gas powered one the one i like about the it's just i i don't have to worry about the battery running out exactly because so i can bring i can bring a little extra gas and make sure but for this trip um, since it's so close to home, I'm pretty confident there's not going to be any trees. The next one from Barker Camp to the bottom, and that's eight miles, and we'll do that in, in, in two days as well. That one will require a chainsaw. And then probably every trip then on will have a chainsaw. But, you know, if it's going to be two days potentially cutting 20 or 30 trees out, which for a lot of these sections – some of the trees are big projects. I mean, like there's one that I had to had, there's actually one big tree knocked two or three other big trees down and all canopies are right over the tray. So those projects are going to take like probably two to three hours just to clear the trees in 30 yards. So a lot of time consumed, you know, which would be me and, and one or two other people that are, that'll help with that. So on some of those trips where I know there's going to be a lot of, of tree work, we'll probably bring in maybe somebody that's going to just do a speed hike with just a chainsaw as opposed to chainsaw and an additional, you know, 10 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. But even that's, that's doable. Do you have, um, do you have a project for next year that you're going to do on your birthday? Uh, a couple <laughs> that I'm thinking about for sure. Um, I, you know, I, I want, I want to go more on the paddleboard 
And so I've heard a lot about the upper Powell River is just spectacular. So, um, you know, I'm kind of thinking that may be my uh, extended trip, I, I think. But, man, there's a lot of, of routes that I'm thinking that are, that are loops that are combination of speed, ultralight hiking, and, and paddling that i mean this was just the start of like so many things the french broads got so many great opportunities to do man maybe not necessarily loops but just big long paddles that lead into a trailhead then a big long hike from there so i like this combination i've just totally um nailed it as far as me personally you know to be out for one or two weeks and have that combination is just this best way to go um, in February, um, me and my girlfriend, a couple of friends, we're going to do the 99 mile paddle in the Everglades. The, oh, have you heard of that one? Yeah. They, they had a race, um, a couple of years ago, but I don't think they have it anymore. But mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, have you done, have you paddled in the Everglades? Never have. No, we go to Alligator Point and I've never paddled anything south of there, but yeah, I definitely want to make that. Yeah. I'm really excited for that. We're only, we're planning on just doing about 15 miles a day Yeah, and it'll, it'll take us, uh, five, six days to get through there. Sure. So sweet. Yeah. That I've heard a lot about that one. Um, and the race for America a race of America or something like that. I've heard about that, which was started as a sailing race, basically from whatever the northernmost town in the lower 48s to Alaska. And so it's, God, it's, it's beefy. It's like 800 miles, something like that. Yeah. It's mostly a sailing race, but there's, there's right now one guy that's done it on a paddleboard. Really? But, um, the one thing that I am not super comfortable with is big waves. And a lot of that is on the inland. Inland, So you're not really, you're, you're buffered by a lot of it, but Everybody that I've talked to that have that have done it in a or, or done a lot of paddling up there, you know, along the Canadian coast, say it's you know it's cold water and and you I mean kayak is by far the what or sailboat is by far the best way to go just because of the dangers of falling in and not necessarily falling in but if you fall in you you you're gonna have to either have a wet have a dry, dry suit dry on suit, yeah or you're gonna have to get on shore but no matter what you have to get to shore. And so this guy that did it is a really good surfer. So he just doesn't these fall. waves are kind of they're they're ocean waves. I yeah. mean they're swells that you have to be able to navigate between rocks to get to a beach to be able to camp at night cuz can't camp on a paddleboard out in the middle of the ocean. So that's got me scared a little bit. I need to practice uh, I guess more than that. And the other thing I want to do that anybody with paddling it's Sadly, it's the island that got totally decimated um, in the the Bahamas. Um, it's the northernmost island, and that God, the, a friend of ours' parents had a house there, and he said that it was 185 mile an hour winds for 48 hours. Wow! And the entire island is just decimated. Um, Abaco is the name of it, but there that I've heard from a bunch of people the trip around that island is just spectacular crystal clear water it's usually pretty calm and just loads and loads of wildlife and no people hardly really 
isolated, pretty desolate island. Do you, so that's on my trip too. Do you have any interest to do uh, Key West to Cuba? <laughs> Maybe the other way. Um, <laughs> I talked to Ben Freeberg, and if you haven't talked to him, no, I haven't. Oh yeah, he's he owns more world records on a paddleboard by far than anybody else. But he's the only human that's done it on a stand-up paddleboard. Does he live in Chattanooga? Yeah. Okay. He's the one that put, he's the race director for the Chattajack. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I want to talk to him. Um, he's paddled more miles than any other human on a stand-up paddleboard, 230-some miles in 24 hours. Wow. He and his, what then, girlfriend, now wife, are the only ones ever to do the great Alaskan race or whatever, but it's that 1,000-mile race on the Yukon River. Oh, When yeah. it's like, at it's at its peak. Yeah. And... I kind of want to do that. I mean, I think you can do it in an inner tube because it is going so damn fast. You don't need to paddle. You can just steer. Just steer is all you need to do. But apparently every single year, the the river gets completely redefined just because it's, you know, so, so much water going. Yeah. But yeah, they averaged more than 100 miles a day wow. for, for 10 days. And they were far from first. <laughs> So they got these these Olympic pal- caliber kayakers coming in and just crushing it on surf two person surf skis and doing you know 140 miles a day. Wow! But that sounds really entertaining, with the exception of the bears, because now you think about it, you know the salmon can't spawn until the rivers are big enough, and these bears are starving. And once it starts going, then they start you know once the salmon starts spawning, the bears are starting to eat. So they're all at the river. So where you're camping, and and they say guaranteed you're going to see grizzly bears without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, but if they have enough, if they have enough salmon, they don't care about. They them. are not going to care about humans because no. there's lots of their food. Yeah. So not that worried about it, but just kind of gets my, gets me puckered a little bit. I've been scared. very, I've been very close to grizzly bears before in Alaska. Oh, really? And. But at rivers, yeah. where they're eating salmon. I've been to that place called Brooks Falls, where yeah. you, you stand on the boardwalk and there's a grizzly bear 20 feet away from you. Yeah. And they're not interested in you. They're just eating the salmon. Yeah. But I've also Gorging. came across a bear just in a, in a junkyard. It was 40 feet away from me and it was yeah. uh, puckering yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, I, I'm really surprised my body is holding together as well as it it is and i a lot of people have asked me what do you do and i don't really know the answer i mean i take care of myself i eat good food um you know i drink a lot of beer that helps <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i think i think the biggest thing is just you know strength and flexibility more than anything that's what's keeping my body together so i, I do a lot of yoga and i you know, I haven't done a whole lot of strength conditioning, but I think, you know, my lifestyle and my job, you know, building trails, basically digging a ditch and, you know, working on trails, lifting rocks and trees and stuff. So I do that, um, not every day, but probably three or four days a week. And that helps, but it's probably been, it's been in the last year or so that I've done like resistance training in my house with weights and, you know, that, you know, and, and combined with with being flexible and and having good balance i don't fall i don't fall down very much and i can't well you've always had that good balance i mean you because you used to do um high diving where you'd you'd be doing these handstands and uh you know you have good eye hand coordination with juggling and you know 
I think all that helps. You, you've always been that kind of way. I think I have because just, you know, that's the lifestyle I chose. Right. But there's a lot of people that are getting older that are getting scared. You know, my parents, you know, perfect example. And anybody pushing 80 or whatever. It's scary to think that, you know, a lot of people die. They fall down, break their hip, and they die of pneumonia in the hospital. Yep. It's just common. I mean, it's a common way to go. And it's, I mean, maybe it's just, you know, they die of natural causes kind of thing. But I think a lot of people are just scared of it. And this, this goes with backpacking too. I mean, I, I would rather use no hiking poles than use two. One is the, one is the, is the, is the key thing for me because I, I use my hands as balance my hands in the air when I'm crossing a Creek, I, I'm not, I typically won't have, unless it's moving fast and I need to have that. But if I'm like trying to, you know, stand on stones or whatever, I'm, I'm using my hands in the air to help balance me, not to stick in the ground as mm -hmm. a, as a crutch. I mean, I use my own personal balance to help me get across creeks and whatever. And I, you know, it's good. Don't get me wrong. I use the one hiking pole to help me, you know, with balance going up and down. And the, but the main reason I do it is to help me propel myself going up and help kind of help, you know, brace myself coming down. And usually when I'm flat ground, I don't, I, I have it in my hand. I'm not using it you, at all. So you travel with one hiking, just one, one trekking pole. pole and I switch it back and forth. So I take the wrist, yeah. the wrist thing off of it. Yeah. Um, and another thing too, and the only thing, the only animal scare I had at all on this trip was domestic dogs. Oh. coming at me and i think this one guy would have got me if i hadn't had my pole and as soon as i stuck my pole out ready to stab the guy he stopped in the middle of a of a county road with cars screaming by and so um yeah that was you know, there's been quite a few dogs that i think have backed him up because i had the pole so i recommend poles but i don't recommend using them all the time i mean people go out all they won't go out on a hike without a pole and I think you work on your balance, it, especially as you get older. I mean, practice, stand on one foot all the time. Every time you have a chance, stand well, on one foot. Well, pa paddle boarding is really good for your balance. And your little And your little ankle, your tiny little muscles. And as ankles. you know, you can't do it unless you've got good balance. And it's the best thing to learn balance. You fall off into the water in the middle of the summer. So what? <laughs> get back on the board and try it again. I, I broke my ankle. Um, years ago, really bad tib fib. I have eight pins and a plate in there right now, yeah. dislocated. It was nasty looking. And, um, I was off it for three, three months, no zero weight. Yeah. And then I, and I started walking a little bit and I went to Hawaii and I got on a paddleboard for the first time ever. And I paddleboarded out in the, in the ocean for an hour. And then the next day I could not walk because you're using all those stabilizer I used muscles. All those yep. stabilizer muscles that I haven't used for the last three months. And, and yep. it, it, that just blew my mind how good paddleboarding is to work on your balancing muscles. Cause there's all these little micro when you're standing on the ground that doesn't move, but on a board, it's just all these slight adjustments you're making without even thinking about it. Well, there's one other key piece to that too. And this, this kind of goes true with, anything balance related, you're going to be in better balance if you're relaxed. Mm -hmm. So if you're tensing up and trying to go walk across a, a, you know, a log across a Creek or whatever, and you're super tense, 
it's going to be harder for you to, to stay focused and to, to have good balance. You have to relax. And the only thing that is not relaxed are those stabilizer muscles in your, in your feet and ankles. Those are the ones that's working to save you. And there, there's no better exercise to develop those muscles than stand-up paddleboard and slackline. Slackline is a great, great tool. Yeah. And anybody that, I mean, you do not need two trees in your backyard to have a slackline. And it's so much fun. It's so easy. It's safe. I made a slackline once with two cars with trailer hitches. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right here. I don't have any trees at this house. Right in my, my front yard. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's so, it's so great for you and there's nothing better, especially the older you get to have more and more confidence that I'm not going to fall down mm-hmm. as opposed to being afraid of falling down and, and having, if you bring hiking poles every time you go out on a hike, I mean, you're not doing your body any favors because those hiking poles are, are they're they're a crutch to your balance. And then when you don't have them, you're not really learning thing. And a lot, and the other thing that's a big key to this and this is uh, i'm i don't want to slam road running because i love racing on the roads because it's really fun it's a great social thing but that has led to a lot of injuries and a lot of people the older they get they they go away from trails to roads because you know they they trip and fall everybody does on a trail and ankles you're not rolling your rolling ankles. your ankles yeah. whatever and the, when you stop doing that on trails and you go to a road that's consistent everybody thinks the the road density it's the it's oh that's such a hard surface it has nothing to do with how hard the surface is the, i mean a packed trail is no different than a than an asphalt you know road i mean as far as how hard it is it has to do with the undulation in the different your your foot is planting differently every step even though it might be micro difference but on a road it is the consistency of that it's propagating those forces up your leg every single step exactly the same way and you're not doing anything to work on stabilizer muscles not just ankle stabilizers but knee and hip those are the muscles you need to stay strong so if you do fall you you're going to be stronger to not break your hip or your knee or whatever and so yeah, falling down on a trail sucks. It happens, and you, it's not going to go away. You're going to continue to fall down on a trail, but you're you're doing your body so much better, good of building and maintaining those muscles that are that'll make you stronger when you do fall. But also, it's less chance of falling down because your 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 balance is better, and keep keep it going. It's got to be a daily thing, and it sucks getting old. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm thrilled that I'm, I'm doing so much, you know, over, over 60 years old now. I mean, I definitely thought my body would be in, in shambles as hard as I've treated it. I mean, I've been brutal on this body <laughs> and I, I just think if you take good care of it and you're flexible and you stay strong and you stay in good balance, I, I just can't see an end. I mean, there's just do some research. There's people in their nineties and oh, yeah. hunters doing amazing things. So this you know, this species we've got here is just we we don't know the limits to it right now. Plus, doesn't it feel good once in a while to have a a good fall and not get hurt? Doesn't that feel oh? Doesn't that feel good? Yeah, I mean, without it, a doubt, I'm like every time I fall, I'm like, oh shit, what did I just do? But and then I'm like, you get up and you're like, all right, that wasn't so bad because I, yeah. I, I ride BMX and I'm 37 now, and that's starting to get pretty old for BMX. And uh, and you know, you ride and you kind of just do things that you know that you can do. 
but sometimes you still fall and then you just like, I still got it. And yeah. it, and like, you feel good Yeah, for me at least. Yeah. I, uh, I gave up mountain biking. Uh, I guess the, the term mountain biking is, is, is pretty broad, but sure. I've, I've, I sold my mountain bike and I'm about to buy a, a what, what is it called? A cross bike? Is oh, it called they're called a, gravel bikes. Gravel, gra- gravel yeah, bike. But, gravel bike. Yeah. So, um, in Obed right here in town. Yeah. So I, I can't wait cause I want to do multi-day trips and you know, it's fantastic. It's, it, again, it's going to be, I'm, I don't know. I haven't done it yet, but I have to believe it's going to be similar to stand up paddleboard where you can bring a, a lot of gear. Well, I mean, probably not as much as I could on a paddleboard, but a lot more you, than you could bring backpacking and you're not carrying any of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you still have to propel it up steep hills, but it's so much easier. So I'm really looking forward to that. And again, we live in such a great place for just fantastic 300 mile loops that you can do on gravel bikes that some single track, but most of it's just side by side on gravel roads that there are no vehicles. So yep. for miles and miles, I just can't wait. It's going to be great. Do you road bike? I don't, and I don't plan on doing it again. Um, I just don't, I mean, thanks to cell phones and devices, I just don't trust people. I don't trust myself. I mean, I catch myself looking on my phone when I'm driving way too much. So I've got to back off. We all have to stop doing that. But there's been too many close calls. You know, I've been hit by five cars in my life on a road bike, and um, I just don't want to do that again. Yeah, switch over to gravel. Gravel's great. Yep, can't wait. And thanks for your all your um, input on what to get. So I'm I'm a, I have Obed become gravel a, bike. Yeah, uh, with the with, with the, the dyno with hub. The dyno hub. You yeah. don't have to bring the three pound battery anymore. You have a exactly. dyno hub. You charge in your phone. You, you don't have to bring batteries for your headlight. You can ride all night long if you want. It's um, my bike is set up so anytime I pedal, my lights are on. Yeah. So I have a flashing red light in the back and you don't forget to turn it on or off when it's always on. It's great. Don't run out. The only downside is when you go places and you lock it up and people see you walking away from your bike, they always say, Hey man, you forgot to turn your lights off. Yeah. And, and I just, that's a small downside. Yeah. It's like, they don't turn off. They're just, it'll stop in a second. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, yeah. can't, I mean, I'm I'm more fired up about getting outdoors and, and, helping the other people and get outdoors. I mean, outdoors. well, that's really cool that out in, in, in the wilderness, not just outdoors. That's cool that you want, you have this passion and you're, you're trying to get people to help. It's like a win-win help with maintenance, mm-hmm. but also they don't have to spend a bunch of money on camping gear because camping gear, the good stuff is very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, from $65 to a single, single person tent to the one I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's other good ones out there, but the one I, I, love that I'll have for a long time is 250 and it's it, 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 well worth it for me. Yeah. I mean, so. I, I just bought a, it's embarrassing to say is a $600 tent for, uh, my Everglades trip. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, but you want to, you want to have a good experience and good gear costs money. You know, it's kind of odd to, and it doesn't, it has something to do with, I'm tired, you know, at the end of a, end of a big day out in the woods. Yeah. I'm a little bit more tired than normal, but I, I stay really active almost every day. I'm doing something. And so I don't think it's that much. There's just something about, I mean, if you haven't read, um, the book nature fix, do yourself a favor. Cause it's, that was, that's one. There's also one called the hidden life of trees, but I've, I need, that's on my short list. There's the something about, 
sleeping in under the trees in a forest. I mean, you're breathing these terpenes that the, the these aerosols that the that I don't think just trees, but trees they've studied the most recently. It's all fairly new science, but there it changes. It changes from season to season. It changes if there's a I mean, there's a tree that if the if an insect if a ant starts eating the sap of the tree, it emits a different kind of terpene and they call it fenctonside, which you know, suicide, homicide, um, it's like death. Death is the side. That's what they're calling. That's what they're calling this aerosol that it emits. And it's not just a wasp. It's a certain type of wasp that not only knows that, Hey, there's food. It knows exactly what tree to go to, to start eating the ants. And so that it's a, a defense mechanism from the tree and that they have done so many studies. The South Koreans are probably, leading the world in, in forest bathing kind of nutrition and w- what illnesses are good for what kind of forest. I mean, they're, they're narrowing it down to what, what do you need to fix? Is it some kind of mental illness or is it cancer or something else? And they, they know what kind of tree emits the right kind of terpene to help you f- fix yourself. So go in a forest around here. They are so diverse. I got a guy that came out. We live in a one acre property. He said, you got 25 different kinds of trees on one acre. And so you think about this, this uh, concoction of all these different chemicals that each tree, and apparently they're all uber healthy for us. So sleeping is just so much better for me. And, you know, maybe it's just because I, I love it so much and I feel comfortable doing it. But I would much rather sleep on the ground in a tent ever than in the bed. I mean, I've got one of the most comfortable beds ever known to man, and I still would rather sleep on the ground. When when I camp, I I like to I take the tent, but it's only for emergencies. If the weather's looking iffy and raining, but um, if it's good weather, even if it's cold, because I have a nice sleeping bag, I just sleep yep. under the stars and. It's fantastic. You 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 wake up earlier. Uh, you get you feel rested. I mean, I have a really nice mattress, a padded mattress that I take with me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just like sleeping under the stars. It's yeah, great me too. Like everyone needs to do that. Everyone yeah. needs to try it out. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'd prefer that. I I, I prefer um, zero impact camping. I I rarely make a fire. Um, I you you usually cannot tell that I've camped there. I try to, you know, find a space where there's no saplings, nothing and minimal footprint and get up. And with that, with that theme, it's so much easier to not pitch a tent because you just lay it down. You can find the lay down, find the right perfect spot, put your pad down, your tent, crawl and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. I mean, not your tent, your sleeping bag. So, did, yeah, agree. Did, did you ever get caught up in the hammock camping thing? That got you know, real trendy. You know, I can't do it. I, I, I'm, I, I usually sleep, you know, sort of in the side cocooned up, you know, I guess. Fetal uh, position. Fetal yeah. more than any other. But I roll around a lot, and I just could never get comfortable in those um, point-to-point hammocks. I do own a, a climbing hammock. It's a single suspension one that... Mm-hmm. It has spreader bars on it that is, is it is really comfortable. But even with that, I just prefer sleeping on the ground. Yeah. I'm, Not only that, but 
with being hanging in the air, you it's cold. You're compressing your sleeping bag. It's way colder. It's colder to have um, the, you know, air underneath you. It's it's harder because you have to find trees. The yeah. ground's everywhere. There's always ground, so you can sleep on the ground. But there's not always trees. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was I was dirt bike camping with some people in West Virginia, and we we were in these old uh, like strip mines, maybe. So yeah. it was these fields with these. Um, you know, it, it was actually kind of pretty and uh, great view on top of this hill. And we, we had a little fire and then, uh, well, now we got to leave. Can't camp here. We need trees. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I had I had a tent. I was ready to go. Yeah. But we had to go dip into the forest to find trees. And it's like, why why limit yourself? Well, it, it's I, also, yeah, growing up in Colorado, I mean, most of the backpacking I did growing up was kind of above Timberline. There weren't yeah, any trees and and we all almost all the time it hardly ever rains in colorado so you uh, I mean, we rarely pitched a tent yeah great stuff well do you have anything else you want to say this has been pretty good yeah enjoyed it um just you know encourage people as much as you can to get out outside this this pandemic has hopefully taught everybody that that's the safest place to be i mean i've kind of science-minded folk I, I really try to read as much as I can about the pandemic and the thing that's hit me most and a lot of the studies that you have to be inside smaller space the better to catch the virus and you have to be in recirculated air at least 15 minutes that's been kind of the the general theme around the world that that's how everyone's getting it. it's an airborne thing so if you go eat in restaurants, do it outside. Um, there's a lot of them around that they realize it's safer that way. But better than that, get out in the woods. Um, it's just it's just so much better for you. And we you know we we are outdoor city USA. We're the only city that's been voted twice greatest outdoor city by Outside Magazine. But we and we we pat ourselves on the back. It's great. We're we're happy about that and proud of it. We should be proud. But you look at the health and wellness of the average person in Chattanooga, it's dismal and getting worse. So, uh, you know, I think I just think that the best way to start any kind of fitness program, and it's not just physical fitness, it's, it is probably more mental fitness and more mental health getting out and surrounding yourself with nature and just get over it. Get over these myths that don't happen. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to not be afraid, but there's nothing bad about fear. Just get over it. Go out and get somebody that you like that, that's been out in the woods and go, go do a 10 mile point to point trek in the middle of nowhere. Try to get out as far away from people as you can get. And that farther away from people, the better it gets. And I just can't, I can't say enough about how, how great it is to live in Chattanooga and you have so many phenomenal opportunities to, to really embrace yourself in nature. And even if you're picky, you, there's, there's something you can find in Chattanooga outside that you yeah. like. If, if you don't like to swim, that's fine. Hike. I mean, yeah. if you want to learn how to paraglide, if you, if you, if you don't like the sun, go in a cave. Yeah. We have, we have absolutely everything here some of the best climbing, some of the, some, some of my buddies, I mean, there's been people that I grew up with in Colorado that great climbers and convince them to come out here. And they said, man, the 
climbing in Chattanooga is way better than the climbing in Boulder, Colorado. Way better because it's so diverse. We have trad and we have sport climbing and by far some of the best bouldering anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, can't can't get enough of that. Where in Colorado, if you go to El Dorado Canyon, you have to wait in line for climbs. I mean, a long time. <laughs> we're really. So it's good stuff. Yeah, we're really blessed to live in this city. It's a great place. I love yeah. this place. So, yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoy talking with you, as yeah, always. Yeah, it's great. Um, Randy from wildtrails.org. Indeed. Sign up and uh, go to that volunteer page and uh, clear some trails. Absolutely. All right, we'll, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. See you, back. And there you have it. That is Randy Wharton and his crazy birthday project. That guy's insane. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends. Word of mouth is key in the small city that we live in. You can also write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's helpful. Otherwise, just come back next week. Bye.